Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Half of them are introverts, and they would literally die if we invited them up to pray over them. So, uh, like, like, we're not even stretching the truth. Literally, they would die. So, um, <laughs> yes, literally. So, I, one, one quick thing I would ask for you to do is, if, if you are inclined to do so, would you pick one name off the list? We've got AJ and Anna and Colin and Ashton and Evan going, as, long, as well as our, our leaders, Keith and Mandy and Jay. Just pick one name off of this list to write down and be praying for uh, the 8th through the 13th. So Thursday to whatever the day the 13th is, 11th, Tuesday. So Thursday to Tuesday, just to, to make them uh, that one name, praying for their safety. But, but more than safety, we want like enough risk to grow them. That's what we want to see God do in their lives, is uh, not just keep everybody from being hurt, though we don't want any of that, but but like to stretch them and scare them and, and uh, see enough risk in their lives that they'll grow and run, run to Jesus. So uh, please write down one name or come back later and, and think of this one person that you would be willing to pray for throughout the week. And parents, I encourage you to pray for your own kids, of course, but maybe even pick a, one additional to add to the list that's, uh, that's going. So before we begin the message, would you join me in praying for our students and leaders for this coming week at uh, camp? Father, we thank you so much for... The opportunity to go places, to have the freedom to cross boundaries and go into new areas, and uh, especially to be able to do it on a spiritual journey. And so we pray for these students. We pray for AJ and Anna and Colin and Ashton and Evan, that you would challenge them, that you would take them out of their, uh, their habits and their ways, and that you would wake them up to their need for you, Lord Jesus, uh, knowing that many of them are saved already, but all of them. Uh, just like all of us, need fresh encounters with you, need new dates in their relationship with you that they can look back on and celebrate how you're at work in their lives. We pray for Keith and Mandy and Jay that you would give them wisdom as they lead and guide, that you would sustain them through the weekend, that you would give them the strength to stay on top of things, and and, uh, that they themselves too would be challenged and grow spiritually. Thank you for the opportunity to send them to camp. We love them, and we pray your blessings over them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So thank you. Just to to tell you, you know, camp is really important. It's special. It was at this same camp, uh, Ridgecrest, that I made a profession of faith that for the first time I really knew I was saved. And, and, you know, I had prayed a lot of times about, oh, Jesus saved me from hell uh, prior to this. And, uh, but it was at Fuge a, a long time ago, or not at Fuge, but at Ridgecrest a long time ago, that I made my, my profession of faith that I look as being the one where I know I was saved. And Shelly, camp was important to her. This very camp, it's where she met her boyfriend with the Harley. So um, <laughs> I'm sure there were some spiritual things that happened there too, but, but that's the thing I can remember from her story about Ridgecrest. So that was before me. I was never cool enough to have a Harley, and I'm still not cool enough to have a Harley. Um, maybe a Honda but only a really small one. So 
Anyway, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up to Mark chapter 15, even as we celebrate our freedom in the United States, even as we look forward to what God is going to do in the life of our students. We also want to remember our Christ, our Savior, and all that he's done for us. And Mark chapter 15 begins to unfold even further in this good news, this gospel, to show us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if you remember last week in, in chapter 14, as Jesus faces judgment before the religious elite of the Jews, uh, they, they ask him, are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? In other words, ask him this very question, are you the Messiah, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says to them, I am and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And both of these statements from Jesus about the Son of Man and clouds and seated at the right hand of power are fulfillments of two different Old Testament prophecies, one found in Daniel and one found in Psalm, and, and, in the Psalms. And, and Jesus is declaring unequivocally that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and he leaves no questions uh, unanswered here. In fact, the religious leaders respond not by going, no, you're not, but instead they see this as an act of blasphemy. The high priest tears his clothes, they condemn Jesus, and then they begin to spit on him and make little of him and, and belittle him and shame him in response to this answer. And so that's kind of where we're left that the religious leaders of the Jews have decided that Jesus needs to be punished. And they are ready to send him to Pilate. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. Mark chapter 15. You should be able to find our study today also on the YouVersion app. Um, so Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. We're going to see Jesus' interaction with the Roman authorities. And uh, see further how his crucifixion will unfold. First, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 5. So let's read... Uh, you in your words, mine in, in, in this one, and we will read together Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And here's what Mark has to say. He says, and, remember Mark is moving the story along fast. All throughout this gospel, he's been using this word and to link together the action and say, and this, and, 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 and. And then he also uses the word immediately all the time as well. So remember, as you read the gospel of Mark, when we see and or immediately, He's wanting to show action. He's wanting to show, show movement of the story. So Mark 15, 1, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. So we see this unfolding here. And, and Mark tells us that the very next morning or after this overnight trial in front of the Jewish leaders, that Jesus encounters morning time the chief priests they go ahead and they meet together along with the, all the other religious leaders and they decide to send Jesus over to Pilate now if you remember these chief priests these elders and these scribes law dictated that they could not pass judgment in the dark 
that that was the Jewish standard, that they had to wait until sunrise to be able to pass a final judgment. So while we read that they were having this overnight trial and they were condemning Jesus in action, it wasn't until early morning here that they finally made this last declaration that Jesus was to be handed over to the Roman authorities. And the reason they had to hand Jesus over to the Roman authorities is that while Jewish law prescribed death for blasphemy, which is what they were accusing Jesus of and condemning him for, the Jews, because they lived under the authority of the Roman government, could not implement their death penalty. And so they had to take Jesus to the Roman authorities and continue this process in order to achieve his death like they desired. So it says it was morning time here in the first verse. And so this, this morning, we might imagine some things that have already happened. We, we know uh, that the rooster has already crowed twice and Peter has denied Jesus three times. And so if anybody lives near roosters, you know that they start crowing well, sometimes before there is even a glimmer of sunshine in the sky, but, but as soon as there is that, that little sliver of light that's cracking over the horizon, roosters will begin to crow. And so we've seen the, the rooster crow twice, and we know that, that it's maybe not sunrise, but it's that breaking of dawn that's happening early in the morning. So late enough to be considered the new day, but it's definitely early enough that it is before the Roman court, which was usually happening at actual sunrise. And so every day, the Roman government of the area would gather at the judgment seat of the city, and if there was any court business to be done, any judgments to be made, any disputes between people, you would have to show up first thing in the morning to sit before the local Roman government in order to face judgment or to make accusations or to settle a civil dispute and that happened right there at the very first thing and so they're trying to get Jesus all wrapped up all their business wrapped up according to Jewish law in order to get him to the Roman court before first thing in the morning and we have to understand this is all going to happen between this moment early in the morning when the Jewish leaders make pronouncement until 9 a.m. All this is going to happen between that because Scripture tells us here later in Mark that Jesus is crucified by 9 a.m. So it, it's not that, that he's in the process. He is hanging on the cross by 9 a.m. this day. And so what we're going to see happen is happening in less than, than about three, three and a half hours in this one morning. And, and so... Just, just to put it in perspective, how quickly this unfolds. That Jesus and his disciples likely celebrated the Passover meal until about midnight. That they were out, it tells us about three in the morning is when Jesus was arrested. And so his trial before the, the Jewish authorities has taken about two and a half to three hours. They have condemned him and now they are sending him on to Pilate and he will be crucified by 9 a.m. So in the span of about six hours, we see Jesus going from celebrating a, a time of prayer and, and, and real focused time with his father, with the disciples, to him hanging on the cross. Just six hours it unfolds. It, m most of us, we've seen our lives change quickly. We've seen things shift fast. But Jesus is undergoing this in, in, in just mere hours 
this change from welcomed Messiah to crucified Savior. And so, a couple other things to know. Pontius Pilate, the, the Roman governor that they bring Jesus to, it's interesting in the Apostles' Creed, uh, Pilate is the only non-God person mentioned other than Mary. So we believe in the Father, we believe in the Son, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified under Pontius Pilate. And, and so we have here a man who is unique in history. Pilate was governor of Judea, the area of, of uh, Israel that included Jerusalem and, and Bethany and, and the area around it. Governor of Judea from A.D. 26 to 36. And he had a reputation for being cruel and vicious, and it almost seemed like he liked to cause trouble with the Jewish people. And here's why. A couple of things that Pilate did. At, at one point, he had the Roman garrison. Uh, he would normally stay Pilate in a city called Caesarea up on the ocean. But what, in important times, he would march his soldiers down to Jerusalem and occupy the city to make sure there wasn't unrest. And at one point, he marched his soldiers into Jerusalem, carrying flags with the face of Caesar on them, and statement, making statements that Caesar is God, and there is no Lord but Caesar, just stirring up the Jewish people. Now, he also did some kind things. He, he built the Jewish people a 26-mile aqueduct. Uh, it carried fresh water into Jerusalem. The hang-up was that he took the money from the temple in order to finance the aqueduct. So he's like, I am giving you an aqueduct. Of course, I'm taking your tithes and offerings from the temple to pay for it. Uh, so, so he was not really loved by the Jewish people, but, but he, he, he was here for, or, or there in Judea for about 11 years, so he wasn't probably a great governor. If he had been good, he would have been promoted. If he would have been terrible, he would have been killed. So he, he was kind of a fair to middling kind of ruler and governor. Sadly, after he was demoted in A.D. 26 for uh, going in and killing some Samaritans who were in the middle of a religious festival, he was uh, sent away and he committed suicide. Uh, just that was it. His, his, his life was over. His, uh, his authority was gone and he took his own life. So Pontius Pilate is this unique man who is vicious, he's cruel, he is um, kind of has an animosity towards the Jewish people, and this is the ruler that the Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders are taking Jesus to. And so Jesus is standing before Pilate, likely in a courtyard uh, that would be just in front of a, a raised seat where Pilate is overseeing the day's business and Pilate is beginning to ask Jesus a couple of questions after Jesus is handed over to him. So Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, you have said so. Now, a lot of us, we read this verse, we read ones like it, and we think, my goodness, Jesus was a smart aleck. Um, well, I mean, you said so. I mean, if that's, is that what you're saying? I mean... And, and we, we kind of get this perception that Jesus is being uh, kind of funny here and twisting words. But actually, this is a pretty straightforward answer in the original language. While this is a good translation, it's also important to understand that um, Jesus w was actually making an affirmation of what Pilate was asking. 
So when Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? He's not asking a religious question. He doesn't care if Jesus thinks he's the Messiah. He doesn't care if Jesus thinks he's a great rabbi or teacher. He doesn't care if Jesus thinks he's an amazing prophet. He has no concern with the religious ramifications of this question. What Pilate is asking Jesus is a political question. It's a revolutionary question. He's asking, are you going to lead a rebellion against Rome? Are, are you going to stand up and, and cause an insurrection and declare yourself king over Jerusalem and Judea and all of Israel? Is that what you're going to do, Jesus? That's the question that Pilate is asking. Not concerned about religious things, but concerned about political things. And this is a big deal because, remember, this is Passover time. This is a time when Jerusalem is cram-packed full of people. There are also hundreds of thousands of people camping around the city. In the past, there had been attempts to overthrow government or, uh, Roman rule uh, during Passover time. And so this is a, already a tense political situation for Pilate. And so he's asking Jesus, are you one of those guys that's going to cause trouble and stir things up? And Jesus' answer is, you have said so. And, and when we read this, we think, well, that's kind of a smart like, thing, right? But, but really, in the original language, what Jesus is saying is kind of a, well, yes, I am, but not in the way that you think I am. Yes, I am the king of the Jews. Yes, I am the Christ. Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the son of David. Yes, I deserve that title, but not in the way that you're using it. And we see that, that interaction uh, kind of expanded just a bit in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible and want to flip it over to John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38, uh, we see a little bit more detail what happened in this discussion. So here, verse 33 of John chapter 18, it says this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Why did you plug my iPad in? Okay, sorry. So distracted. Was anybody else distracted by all that? I tried not to be, but I was. It's okay. John 18, verses 33 through 38. Sometimes you just see, oh, okay. So Pilate comes back in. And, uh, calls Jesus and says to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And this is how Jesus answers the question according to the gospel of John. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Are you the king of the Jews? Well, my kingdom is not of this world. This is a yes, but my kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? (laughs) Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. You see, Jesus' clear answer is, I've got a kingdom, and I am in charge, and if I were political, like you think I might be, my followers would have already been fighting. I wouldn't even be in this situation. In fact, remember, Jesus told the disciples that if he were so inclined, he could have called 12 legions of angels down into the Garden of Gethsemane to defend himself and his disciples. And remember, 12 legions of angels is about 6,000, 72,000 angels. That's a lot of angels. I think they can all dance on the head of a pin, but it's still a lot of angels, right? You see, Jesus was not about physical, political, power, and intrigue. He wasn't about insurrection and overthrow. He was about bringing the truth of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, to a clear understanding and to a final point of emphasis in this world. And so Pilate asks him, are you a king and and are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, well, you have said so. In other words, yes, but not in the way that you're saying. And here's what also goes on. The chief priests accused him, Jesus, of many things. You see, what's interesting is that argument that he's the king of the Jews, it's clear that Pilate doesn't buy it, right? That, that, that Jesus is no political threat. Jesus is not come for an insurrection. He hasn't come to establish himself as some sort of political king. And so John has told us that that Pilate declared him innocent, and yet the chief priests continue to accuse him of all kinds of stuff. Now, why did they accuse him of, of declaring himself king of the Jews? Why did they accuse him of many things? Well, because While what Jesus had said was blasphemous under Jewish law and earned him death under Jewish law, under Roman law, about the only thing that could bring death for someone like Jesus would be an insurrection against the Roman government. That's the only reason, usually, that that death would be given. And, And so the chief priests are trying to convince Pilate that Jesus is a traitor to Rome, that he is trying to establish his own kingdom, that it's all about politics. They keep trying over and over to convince Pilate that Jesus is a threat. And Pilate asks Jesus, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. 
You see, Jesus was not interested in proving his innocence of these false accusations. Jesus was not interested in standing up for his own rights. He was interested only in achieving the mission that the Father had established for him, and that was to walk in faithfulness, to declare the coming kingdom, and to suffer and die and rise again so that all who believes on him as Lord and Savior may come into right relationship with he and the Father for eternity. And Jesus gives no answer to all of these accusations because they are inconsequential. It doesn't matter what others have to say about him. He is there for one reason and one reason only, and he's already made it clear that he is the king. He is the Messiah. But he's not here for the reasons you may have imagined he's here to build the kingdom of God. And, and Pilate, in response to this, he is, it says, amazed. And the word amazed there is a much richer word than some of us might imagine. It, it, it can mean he, he stood and he wondered, he contemplated, he admired Jesus. Jesus was saying things that actually made Pilate think. He was responding in a way that actually made Pilate think about, could this be true? Now, of course, we see in the Gospel of John, Pilate's like, but what is truth? What is truth? It's interesting that earlier in that same Gospel, Jesus had told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus was making certain to not distract from that mission, from that way, from that truth, from that life, by being concerned with defending himself against these flippant and false accusations. And this is also, once again, fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, in which the prophet Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be oppressed and afflicted and yet would not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The end result of what was before Jesus was already determined. Remember, Jesus had been telling his disciples for quite some time that they were going to Jerusalem, that he would be handed over to the authorities, that he would suffer and die and rise again. And so Jesus had no need to defend himself because he wasn't about his own needs or desires. He was about accomplishing the mission the Father had given to him. And so we see it continue to unfold in Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 15. And here's what it says. Now, at the feast, he, that's Pilate, used to release for them, the Jewish people, one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to him or to have him release for them Barabbas instead. 
And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So it continues to unfold. And and Pilate is kind of looking for a way out of what's going on here. He doesn't want to see Jesus crucified because he doesn't believe that he is guilty of insurrection or rebellion against the Roman authorities. Now, it doesn't mean that Pilate thinks that Jesus is the Messiah. It doesn't mean that Pilate has had some sort of grand religious conversion in this moment. What it means is is that Pilate is a politician and he sees somebody who's innocent of the charges and so he doesn't want to pass judgment on him. He doesn't want to see him punished. So he's looking for a way to satisfy the crowd and so it was tradition for every year at these type of feasts and celebrations for for Pilate to release one prisoner, uh, whomever they asked for. And it tells us about one of those prisoners. And one of those prisoners, he was a rebel who had committed murder in an insurrection. So Barabbas, this man, is guilty, I mean, in spades, of the very thing that they're claiming Jesus is guilty of. Insurrection. And not only has Barabbas rebelled against the government, but he also committed murder in the midst of rebelling against the Roman government. And so we've got this man, Barabbas, who is a rebel who's committed murder, and we've got Jesus. And Pilate is giving the crowd the option, who would you like for me to release to you? And so, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Now, we we see that Jesus is going to be called this, the king of the Jews, pretty much for the rest of the gospel of Mark to his crucifixion. And it really is a picture of the fulfillment. This is his coronation as king. Normally, a coronation is a much more cheerful affair. One in which a king assumes their throne and receives their crown and their celebration, and everyone rejoices. But instead, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, he is coronated, he receives his crown, he ascends his throne in suffering and death. And we see Pilate offering to the Jewish people, would would you like me to release Jesus to you? And the reason he asked about Jesus is because Pilate saw that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. In other words, the chief priests looked at Jesus and they're like, he has authority that we want. He has followers that we want. He has a a power and a position and a, a standing that we want. And so we want to see him destroyed. Matthew chapter 27 verse 17 tells us this about the choice that Pilate offered the people. It says this, So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? And some of you, you might flip over to Matthew chapter 27 and look at your translation and go, Wait, mine doesn't say Jesus Barabbas. And I'll tell you why. 
it's because there are only a few really early manuscripts that include the first name of Barabbas. Barabbas, it appears, was not his first name. Rather, it was his familial name, his, the name of his father's family. And it would appear appropriate to read these early manuscripts and use them because there's no reason to call him Jesus Barabbas unless it's true. So what we have here then is Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Messiah or the King. Pilate gives them the choice between two Jesuses, right? The plural there all gets weird. So I'm just going to say Jesus. The plural between two Jesus. And you might say, well, wait a minute. I thought Jesus of Nazareth, our Messiah, was special. Absolutely, he is. But his name, his first name, isn't. Because Jesus is, is the, the, the English version of what we would say uh, in my worst Hebrew possible, Yeshua, right? Which is actually just an iteration or a version of the name Joshua. And the name Joshua is like naming a kid John, or in our church, Steve, Mike, or Ken. <laughs> okay? But, um, so, so the, the name Jesus it would, would be a common first name in first century Israel. So your faith should not be shaken to hear that there was more than one Jesus. Now, it's important for us to clarify which Jesus we're talking about. And that's what Pilate does here in Matthew. He says, would you like for me to release to you Joshua, the son of Abba, or Joshua, who is called the Messiah? You have two Jesus. Which one would you like me to release to you? Now, this isn't something where we want to draw too much out of this or we want to make too big of a deal, but i got to tell you, this picture of there being two Jesus to choose from really struck me as I was studying and listening. And, and, and some preachers like R.C. Sproul like to make it a really big deal. And, and I'm not going to make it too big, but I want you to think about this. And this is actually kind of where we'll land by the time we get done, is this idea of two Jesus. We have Jesus Barabbas, who is his last name. It literally means one of these two things. It's a little sketchy. We're not 100% sure. Either son of the father or son of the teacher, son of the rabbi. And Jesus Barabbas was a political rebel. He was a murderer. And he had already been judged guilty and deserving of death. So what we have here is a man who is the kind of king that the people wanted. He's the kind of Jesus that they wanted, who would rebel against Rome, who would kill the, the filthy oppressors, who would reestablish Israel and do so at any cost. He is the kind of man that they wanted to be their leader. He's actually the kind of man they wanted Jesus of Nazareth to be. 
You see, the Jewish people, when they were thinking of Messiah, they didn't think of someone like Jesus of Nazareth who came in and said, die to yourself. They didn't think of someone like Jesus of Nazareth who said, who came in and said, your sin is your biggest issue, not the people in rule over you. So when they saw Jesus Barabbas, they were excited in some ways to say, this is the man that's like us, where Jesus of Nazareth, he's not the king we want. He's not the ruler we think we need. He may be son of God. He may say he's king of the Jews. He may be a spiritual king, and we've seen him heal, and we've seen him give life, literally, from death. And he may be innocent, but we don't want one like him because he doesn't match our expectations. He doesn't meet our standards for Messiah. So we have these two Jesus that are before the Jewish people. And here's what happens. The chief priests stir up the crowd to have him release, Pilate release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate said, so what do you want me to do with this other Jesus, with this king of the Jews? And they cry out again, crucify him. The Jewish people that very day, when choosing which Jesus they wanted to follow, they chose the Jesus that was all about politics and rebellion and living life to the fullest the way that they wanted to see it lived instead of the Jesus who would die to bring them new life. Instead of the Jesus who would declare to them, you must die to your own self in order to live. The Jesus who would tell them, the oppression of the Romans is nothing compared to the oppression of sin in your life. They wanted the one who looked like them, talked like them, encouraged them, could lead a rally, maybe even have some of the biggest rallies in history. They wanted a Jesus to save their wallets and their farms instead of the Jesus who would save their souls. So Pilate says to the crowd, why would you want this man crucified? What evil has he done? They don't have a reason to answer. Instead, all the more they cry out, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. Now, this idea of satisfying the crowd. Pilate, of course, when we're talking about a politician, he is in a bad place. Here he is with an innocent man that he doesn't want to see condemned and a crowd that wants nothing more than for this man to be killed. Pilate has stirred up some trouble with the Jewish people as it is. And so when it comes time to confront an angry crowd during the Passover celebration, he decides to satisfy them, to give in to what they want. So first he releases Jesus Barabbas, and then he has Jesus, King of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, scourged. Now, scourging, we won't go into all the detail because we got some little minds floating around, and some of them are in little bodies. Um, <laughs> Y'all are brilliant. I, I love you guys. But scourging was not like getting spanked by your dad. This is not, you know, pulling the belt out, bend over and get three. This is 
typically a death sentence in and of itself for scourging. Now remember, up until this point, Jesus has been up all night. He has been spat upon. He has been cursed. He has been bound. And now he will be scourged. He will be whipped. And these whips, you know, once again, it's not a little little um, simple thing, but the whips were leather whips that often had metal and bone, bits of stone tied into the ends, even little metal hooks specifically made for this purpose, tied into the end of the scourging whip. And the victim would have been bound to a pole. The person who was doing the scourging would have been a specialist, a Roman centurion who had been practicing for years to inflict as much pain as possible and to cause as much damage as possible. It's likely that when the scourging was over, first of all, Jesus would have lost a lot of blood. And second of all, it's possible that you would have been able to see through the torn skin, muscle, and bone, and even internal organs because of the viciousness of the scourging. And so already in this moment, Jesus has suffered more humiliation and more pain than any of us have likely suffered in this life. And it's not over for him yet. And he does all of this to free you and me from sin. So Jesus is scourged and he's delivered over to be crucified. So this morning as we wrap up, I just want to put before you the same kind of question, the same conundrum maybe that, that Pilate put before the Jewish people on that day. There are two Jesus maybe. I kind of reworded some things a little bit. I, I called it called this other Jesus that we like to choose from. I called him Jesus Bar Culture. <laughs> Jesus, the son of our culture. Jesus, the one who's born from our own desires. The Jesus who's born to look like me, think like me, have the same preferences as me, he definitely would have voted just like me in the last election. A Jesus who doesn't say, you need to die to yourself, but instead a Jesus who says, you do you, I'm good with it. And I wanted to tell you, I think that this is the Jesus that far too many people in our American culture follow. When we look at a flag, when we celebrate patriotism too often, this is the Jesus of the United States. Now that is not of a condemnation. I love this country. I'm so thankful for those who have given so much to grant us so much freedom. I believe it is a gift from God without question. Because James tells us every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Unshifting, unwavering. He is good to us. But the sad thing is, is that most of American culture looks to this Jesus and says, that's the Jesus I want. The Jesus, he looks like me. He talks like me. He thinks like me. He likes the same things I like. He votes like I do. He doesn't have any problems with my sin. Everything's cool. He made me like this. This is the Jesus that too many people follow after. We also put before us the choice of a second Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus of Scripture. 
The only Jesus that can actually bring life. The only Jesus that can actually free you. You see, the Jesus that, that is on the other hand, he is Jesus of Nazareth. He is King and Lord and Master, according to Scripture. The truth is, is that this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, he died to save you and me. And he demands not that we do nice things for each other, not that we get to be ourselves and he'll just approve of it, but what he says is you must die to yourself to choose me. You must be willing to give up everything that you think is important, every freedom that you think is critical in order to follow me. And not only does he say you must be willing to die to yourself, he also commands us to love those who do evil to us, to give of ourselves for them. And he asks of us not to, to you do you and I'm cool with it, but instead I want you to believe on me as your Lord and Savior and to confess me before others. So today on our Independence Day, we're, we're left with a choice much like the Jewish people on that day of Jesus' crucifixion. Which Jesus do we want to follow? Which Jesus do we want to be ours? Which Jesus are we going to claim? And I have to tell you the truth. The Jesus of culture is no Jesus at all. And if you choose him as your savior, you will be unsaved for eternity. And if you look at Jesus and say, I know that he would approve of me because I'm just like him because I made him in my own image. <laughs> See how circular that can be? <laughs> we make Jesus in our own image and we know he approves of us because he's just like us. That's no Jesus at all. That's no salvation at all. There is nothing in the Jesus of culture but death and destruction and wandering and a lack of life. But I have to tell you that if you choose Jesus of Nazareth, he asks for some hard things. He says the very freedom that you count as important, I want you to be willing to give it up. The very possessions that you think you should be fighting for, I want you to be willing to sacrifice them for the kingdom. He says the very life that you hold dear, I want you to be willing to give it for my sake. And even potentially the sake of those who hate you. But Jesus of Nazareth calls us to believe on him and confess him as our Lord and Savior. Here, I'll put that back up, Steve. Go ahead and get your picture. That song's zooming and zooming and zooming. It's like, clearly he's got it already. You know what? I can email you the slide. I, I don't mean to be flippant, but I, I also... Man, I want you to understand, this is an important choice, right? It's an important choice. Some of us are deceiving ourselves and thinking we're choosing the Jesus of Scripture when we're really choosing the Jesus of culture. When, when we, we are remaking Jesus in our own image and we're saying, hey, I know for a fact that Jesus would have been a Republican or a Democrat Jesus was definitely would have been a communist. I mean, you know, share in love, right? I know that Jesus would affirm my sin choices because he's, he's okay with that. I mean, look, he let that woman with adultery go. 
we make him look like us and we know Jesus at all. And some of us are still choosing him, honestly. If we really imagine and, and think about the Jesus that we're choosing. And I, I gotta tell you, today is the day to begin, either for the first time or once again, to fervently chase after the Jesus of Scripture, Jesus of Nazareth. So today, if you're in a place where you've been worshiping the American Jesus, anybody seen that picture? You know, Jesus with a gun and buff, right? Makes you sad. Because that ain't Jesus. Of course, neither is the Jesus in the boxing ring. Neither is the Jesus in my mind sometimes. Because I make him in my own image. But instead, I encourage you to chase after Jesus of Nazareth. The one who would stand before others who were hating and condemning and just trust in the hand of the Father. The one who would give his life for you. The one who asks us to die to self. The one who tells us, tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. The one who asks us simply, in order to follow him, to believe and confess. What do we need to believe and confess? Well, understand this gospel truth, that God loves you and he created you. Just like he created all the world in the very beginning with a plan and a purpose, but part of being loved by him in his image, given a purpose, is that we also have a responsibility to him, and that is to walk in obedience. But sadly, Adam and Eve, first in the garden at the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then us every day in our own lives, We've all rebelled against God's standards. We've rebelled against him. We have declared ourselves God over him. And in so doing, we have earned for ourselves his wrath, which is just and righteous and deserved and eternal death. But God loved us so much that he didn't leave us trapped in wrath and death and slavery to sin. But he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for our sins and suffering and rose again on the third day, so that whoever believes on him would be saved. Whoever confesses him as Lord and Savior would be saved. Today, which Jesus will you follow? Which Jesus will you confess? Which Jesus are you serving? We have been blessed to live in a country that is freer than anything ever, except for maybe the Garden of Eden, prior to the fall. We are so blessed and free. And yet some of us are still choosing slavery to sin and politics and destruction and selfishness by following the wrong Jesus. Which Jesus will you follow this morning? As the worship team makes their way up to close us out, if you've got questions, you want to talk to somebody, I'll be available after the service or grab one of your friends, loved ones around here and say, hey, talk to me about these two Jesus, and how do I know which one I'm following? If you need to rededicate, if you need to confess, if you need help with a sin issue, that's what we're all here for. Come ask. Come find. Come lean on someone else. But for all of us, which Jesus are we following today? Which Jesus are we crying out for? Which Jesus are we trying to be like? choose wisely. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us and we thank you that you have given us so much freedom, so much joy, so much hope, so much blessing. And you've put before us today in your scripture a clear choice. Which Jesus will we follow? Will we be like the Jewish people and choose the Jesus of the culture who promises us rebellion and victory and political gain and money and wealth? 
choose the Jesus of the culture or will we genuinely look at scripture feel conviction in our heart and choose to follow after your son Jesus Christ who was born and lived and died and rose again so that we might know you and walk with him and look more like him which Jesus we would choose today Father help us to make right choices pray if anyone is here this morning struggling with which Jesus they might follow after that you would inspire them and convict them to dig deeper into scripture to ask questions and to get to know your son Jesus better for others of us we we want to be faithful but we know we've allowed the Jesus of culture to have a place in our life when he shouldn't help us to reject him utterly and to follow your son Jesus with reckless abandon we thank you for this time we thank you for your word we pray that conviction would rest upon us when necessary and that encouragement would lift us up as needed you are so good it was for freedom that you set us free and so may we not use the freedom that is found in your son Jesus to chase after the things of this world to chase after a false Jesus but instead may we genuinely follow after him and in truth love our neighbor as ourselves name we pray, Lord Jesus, in thankfulness and praise.